Hello, Happy New Year. Welcome back to a brand new episode and a brand new season of Sustainably Influenced. And it is one that has been a long one in the making. It is all about beauty. We've done tech, we've done blockchain, we've had two very scientific techie seasons and the girlies were asking for some beauty. So I thought I would deliver. I'm really excited to do this season because I am a beauty lover. I grew up in a household with a cosmetologist. So that's somebody who teaches about beauty, who was also an alternative practitioner and health, wellness and beauty have sort of been drummed into me from a very, very young age. Personally, I don't think it's fast enough. The amount of people that are actually consciously buying sustainable beauty products are tiny compared to the overall amount of consumers that are buying beauty products. My guests today are two incredible guests and it's a real honour to have them on my podcast. So let's get into it. This year, the significance of beauty consumers will really, really place on value. We're in the middle of a cost of living crisis and essentially a recession. And this will really drive that importance of quality. The emerging quiet beauty trend that we're seeing popping up across socials will emphasise the quality of ingredients, proven effectiveness of products and that reassurance of simplicity. Some other hot trends that we'll be looking at throughout the season include inclusive beauty, mushroom beauty, which I think is a really interesting topic, virtual try-ons, But how does all of this work in the world of sustainability? According to a report by Statistica, the UK's beauty and personal care market is experiencing a surge in demand for clean and sustainable beauty products. And in this ever-evolving world of beauty, 2024 is looking like a real key year and it's going to set an array of trends that transcend the conventional mindset of beauty. So concentrated formulas are set to revolutionise the landscape, offering a coming together of efficacy and sustainability. And these potent formulations demand smaller quantities per application curbing that sort of that packaging waste that we've seen being so rife across the beauty industry for years. And it's also helping to reduce environmental footprints. One brand that are doing something like this is Upcircle. They're ahead of the curve and they launched a shampoo cream with a hybrid formulation, which is using, I think, 50% less water than industry standards. And it's showing you that you can emphasise efficiency without compromising on the results. Mindful consumption and maximised results are the theme of the season. And I think that they're here to stay. We're also seeing things like wellness-driven beauty, which is not just a trend. It's becoming a lifestyle. So people looking at beauty in a way more holistic way, looking at ingestible products, things that you can use topically and internally as well, which is incredible. It's catering to a much faster-paced lifestyle of the majority of consumers. Men's beauty is also taking centre stage as societal norms are evolving. Thank goodness for that. And allowing for more inclusive understanding of beauty. Skincare-infused makeup as well, which is offering a sort of dual benefit and enhancing the appearance while nurturing your skin health, which is a perfect harmony, if you think about it, between aesthetics and self-care, which also ties in with that wellness function that we're going to be talking about in a later episode. Mushroom beauty products emerge as one of the next big things for this year, aligning with the growing preference for clean and sustainable beauty. So let's talk about social media for a moment. We can't ignore the power of influence that social media has had on beauty consumption over the past 10 years. I, for one, I know that I've been heavily influenced even as a content creator. In particular, millennials, hey, hey, my age group, and Gen Z have been heavily influenced So LendingTree reports that 46% of Americans, that's mad, 46% of Americans say social media has influenced them to spend more on beauty products. That is a staggering figure. That's nearly half 
of the people surveyed. I don't want to say population because it's always to do with the survey. So there are more stats that I found in the same report that are equally as shocking. These figures vary by age group. Millennials, so those aged currently 27 to 42, are the most likely to shell out for beauty, spending an average of $2,670 a year on beauty products. That's just wild to me. And I, and I, I know I don't spend an awful lot, but there are products that I love and I will spend on. So comparably, Gen Z, so that's those aged 18 to 26, spend around $2,048 or £1,600 on skincare and beauty. And Gen Xers, those aged 43 to 58 currently, spend around $1,500 or £1,200 a year on beauty products. And the final one, the baby boomers, those aged 59 to 77, spend around $494 or £390 on their skincare and beauty yearly. And it just goes to show that across the different age groups, beauty is less of a priority for the older age groups compared to millennials and Gen Zers because we are so heavily influenced by social media. My guests today are pioneers in the beauty industry and I feel like there was no better way to kick off this season than chatting with them. Millie Kendall is the CEO of the British Beauty Council, retail maven and brand creator. Millie has been instrumental in the success of cult brands including Shuamura, Aveda, Tweezerman, L'Occitane and Ruby and Millie. Having worked with the UK's leading retailers, Millie has been creating and marketing beauty brands for the past 30 years. She was awarded an MBE in 2007 for her services to the cosmetic industry and an OBE in 2022 for services to the hair and beauty industry. The British Beauty Council was founded to represent the voices, opinions and needs of the British beauty industry, from hairdressing to cosmetics, cosmetic surgery, therapy and spa, in education and training and from formulation to manufacture, supply, logistics, packaging, design, retail and media. I'm also chatting with Victoria Brownlee, Chief Policy Officer at the British Beauty Council. She's more than 15 years experience influencing government policy and lobbying on issues from animal welfare to local government, the construction sector and business. Within her remit at the British Beauty Council, Victoria is a champion of the sector for the role it has in the race to net zero. STEM, regulation and the future of the UK's position in the world as a positive trading partner. She continues to highlight the beauty industry within the political consciousness as the driven entrepreneurial world leading the dynamic sector that it actually is and those within it whose careers are dedicated to making the people feel like the best versions of themselves. So let's talk to today's guests. Okay, so thank you both for joining me. I have to say I'm incredibly excited about doing this episode and it's the first of our bumper deluxe beauty season. Over the past year, sustainability has really become a focal point across a variety of industries. Can you share some of the notable trends in sustainability within the beauty industry more specifically that have emerged during this time? I would rather it wasn't considered a trend, really. I think that you've got... A lot of smaller brands that are starting out that are really adopting and owning this space in terms of developing brands that are carbon neutral, thinking about their business in a net zero capacity. And I think it's driving a lot of change at the top end of the industry. So I think what's been really interesting about the sort of adoption of the term or the methodology of sustainability is that it's a David driving Goliath. And that seems to be what's been really interesting. I think that sort of probably is very similar in fashion as well. 
So you'll have like a Patagonia that's making everybody else go, oh my God, we need to do something. So you tend to get sort of like interesting businesses that are driving the whole industry and making a change at the top. So that would be the biggest change, I think. Whereas normally innovation in MPD is coming from the larger corporates who've got the money to spend on it and it filters down to everyone else. But this is just bottom up. So it's really interesting. Really interesting because that's exactly what I'm seeing. I'm feeling like a lot of the smaller brands are dictating what the big brands are going to start doing and they eventually put their their budget into it, but it's not immediately that. I think they want to see if there's any viability and then goes on. Victoria, have you got anything that you want to add? It seems to me that also what's happening is the word sustainability doesn't really go far enough now. What brands are looking at is this idea of regeneration, so being regenerative. So there's some really interesting brands out there looking at making sure that not only that they're not going through the whole do no harm process of business, but actually trying to put back into the earth and make sure that whatever they're taking away, they're leaving behind something that's the same, if not better, ideally. And I think that's really, really great to see. A lot of this is driven by innovation. And I think we're leaders in that area. So regeneration and innovation, I think, are really important factors for us across the sustainability conversation. The British Beauty Council plays such a significant role in shaping the industry that we all know and love. How have you been actively promoting sustainability within the beauty sector and what initiatives have been particularly successful, I guess? I think I'll start from where we sort of how we started this whole piece of work. But then probably Victoria knows more about the sort of detail within the sort of Sustainable Beauty Coalition, because she's obviously a big part of that. So what happened was, is that when we first started the British Beauty Council, sustainability was something that we knew was very important to the future of our industry. The whole point of the British Beauty Council is to future-proof the sector. And in order to future-proof the sector, we'd have to be able to live on this planet. You know, We incorporated sustainability as a sort of overall general topic within our innovation pillar. And the first thing that we thought we would do is commission a report by an independent organisation that work in this area, but not necessarily in the beauty industry, to sort of look at the beauty industry and what its impact was on climate change, because climate change, we thought, was the first sort of stepping stone to getting this right and being in the right place at the right time and kind of understanding what our impact was. So we commissioned this report and the report said a number of things. One, obviously, was around greenwashing, that we need to just stop bullshitting the consumer. The other was around being more transparent and collaborating and working together as an industry. And the final one was around creating this group that would help to drive forward initiatives and make the right moves in terms of plastics and waste and things like that, those topical things that we know are a real problem. So we created the Sustainable Beauty Coalition. And since that time, we've done quite a lot, really, haven't we, Vic? Yeah, it's such a big piece of work. And the beauty industry is full of some really, really informed and intelligent people in the sustainability space. And what we found when we started the SBC is that there's so much to be done and there's so many people with brilliant ideas and I think it took us a little while to work out how we can channel that down the right direction but what we did initially was we were the first beauty organization to have a representation at COP26 I think Glasgow 2021 which was massive for us so we did some fantastic representation there on behalf of the Sustainable Beauty Coalition 
but we also formed our Planet Positive Beauty Guide, which is a really important beauty Bible for both consumers, but also industry professionals to kind of help signpost through and navigate a lot of the rubbish or confusing um, terminology that's used around what is and what isn't sustainable and, and how to work your way through that, both as a consumer, but also in terms of how you're marketing your products. And then more recently, we're doing um, work around this great British beauty cleanup, which is a kind of a sexier way of saying we're developing a waste management strategy because you would be asleep if I started on that basis. Waste management doesn't sound terribly exciting, does it? <laughs> <laughs> great British beauty cleanup. There we go. Much sexier straight away. So that's developing six individual task forces who will all individually be working on specific areas, whether that's government, plastic solutions, the retail and professional services sector, the brands and more overarching manufacturing industry, the reuse, refill, return scheme initiatives, and then the consumer messaging and how things are kind of communicated out from both industry and to consumers. So there's a huge piece of work going on at the moment around all of that. And it's been really great to have so many different voices being channeled into something very, very specific to try and, yeah, have, have some really good outcomes at the end of it. Are you working with brands on this as well? So are brands getting involved in the initiative to help build it? So the way the Sustainable Beauty Coalition works, and it goes back to what I said right at the beginning, is that, for example, we've got a steering committee that set the strategy, and they're a combination of startups and larger corporations and just individuals that are experts in various areas. We've then got the advisory committee that's much larger, and those guys... There's a representative from the steering committee and then there's a group of advisory committee members that make up these task force groups. Victoria was talking about these six groups. On top of that, we've also hold um, an annual event called the Plastic Solutions Summit, which is specifically around plastics. And those are, generally speaking, a combination of sort of the FMCG brand representatives and some a spattering of some of the smaller companies just to sort of that are a bit more reimaginers, change maker kind of brands. The thing about the Sustainable Beauty Coalition is it's a combination of brands, but also industry experts. Because again, it's like, we don't want it to all be about the brands telling us what they can and they can't do. We want to be able to say, this is what we want to do. How do we get there? Don't tell me what you can't do. I want to know how you're going to get to this point. And also just the Planet Positive Beauty Guide is free to download from our website. And also it's the most downloaded piece of kit on our entire website, which is very interesting. And also just another quick stat is that we've got this program called Future Talent, where we've created these films, four films. And the one that's been downloaded and watched most by schools, secondary schools around the country is the one on sustainability. Always is. That's such a good point because that leads me really well into the next question I mean it's been said for a long time that consumer attitudes are changing but have you guys actually seen anything leaning more towards sustainable beauty products and what can we really expect to see in 2024 personally I don't think it's fast enough the amount of people that are actually consciously buying sustainable beauty products are tiny compared to the overall amount of consumers that are buying beauty products and I think there's a I I, I often say that there's a to me, there's a sort of um, challenge with terminology that value to people means cheap, whereas I think value would be a concentrated formula or a powder formula, something goes a little bit longer that I can add the water to myself or something like that. So to me, value means quality. To some people, value means cheap. And I think that once, until we get that sort of 
terminology changed till we start to use different terminology. We won't really understand it. 10 years ago, I didn't take my own bag to the supermarket. And then during the transition where I was like trying to figure out where do I keep a canvas bag or a big bag to take it to the supermarket or a bag for life or whatever, took me years to figure out put one in the car, put one at the front door, put, because, you know, you get there and you're like, oh, shit, I've got the bloody bag again. <laughs> so it took me years to figure out that I need one bin for feminine hygiene and one bin for bathroom recycling in the bathroom. You know, there's things that you need to change. But, you know, I, I do my grocery shopping. I buy organic fruit and veg as much as possible because I don't want my kids putting crap in their mouths and eating crap. You know, it's just... It's a transition and I think there are probably more consumers buying in part natural organic type products, but there's no legislation. So it could say organic on the front of it. It could be 1% organic matter in that bottle. Also, the, the Courage to Change report did highlight, I think it was one in seven people had made a conscious change to swap out a product to a more environmentally friendly product. So quite small, in, as Millie said, but it, what the stat that was kind of, clangs with me and when we speak to big brands it's always the one that they pick out from courage to change is that 88 percent of gen z consumers want the brands that they purchase from to be doing more around sustainability to be making their products more environmentally friendly to be putting them in packaging where it's not plastics except for example or you know taking out the microplastics thinking about reformulating and i think what's important with any shift change in the products that you use is that you don't want it to be at the expense of what you love about that product. So the efficacy of it or the way that it smells or whatever. It's such a busy market. You choose products that you like for very, very specific reasons. So when you move to kind of changing them to be better formulated or more sustainable or whatever, you don't want that to come at the cost of that user experience. And that's where we still need to do some work in the sustainability space. Like Millie was saying with plastic bags, change that mindset to normalize the ways in which people go and refill their products or post back that and then go to the shop and just pick up a brand new version and then post back the empties, etc. It's It's about normalizing those changes where people don't feel like it's at their expense that they're having to make these changes. It's that thing about... Why do we still buy products that come in a box? Do we care? We just throw the damn thing away. I still don't understand. Like, why do we care if it comes in a box? I don't care if it comes in a box. But I think the consumer wants us as the industry to remove the guilt. That's that's really key. You can't rely on the consumer to do anything because we need to change the narrative. We need to change terminology. We need to change the packaging. We need to do what we need to do as an industry. The consumer will buy into it over time. But I think the consumer's got the appetite for it. It's just that they want us to do the work, if that makes sense. I think it's 80% of our carbon emissions for, for a product comes from the usage of the product from the consumer. So it's already left your warehouse or the retailer or wherever. The majority of that carbon footprint is coming from what the consumer then does with that product and then how they dispose of that product. And there's not very much that the brand can do about that but there obviously are is pieces of legislation coming in and changing that in France for example they've just brought in legislation to say 25% of certain size stores has to have like deposit refill stations in which I think is like a really really positive step forward I do think it's a matter of time before that starts to be normalized throughout other countries as well it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation I find I feel like consumers want the brands to do more but brands are begging the consumers to do better once it leaves the brand, once it leaves your warehouse and it's been shipped to your distributor, 
one of your partners, it's not really their problem anymore. They can make it as eco-friendly as physically possible, but it's about how that end use of the product is then managed. The fact is, is that I can buy a bar of soap, but if I'm in a shower for an hour washing my body, I mean, it's like completely annihilated the <laughs> fact that I'm using a bar of soap, isn't it? Because I'm I'm standing there waste, you know, literally wasting water for an hour and hot water and energy that's going to heat. I mean, you know, it's a whole change of go and get your hair done and have them use cold water at the backwash. I do think there is some more responsibility on brands, though, that we've ultimately, it was a fantastic quote that me and Melly always misremember, but in the sustainability future talent film, Lauren Balker, this amazing founder of this brand called The Unseen, she talks about how plastic is this amazing product that, you know, you can use and use and use, but we've created a product that you just throw away with it. Yeah, she said, we created a product that lasts forever only to throw it away every day. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, that's the problem with the majority of products that we use, that they're packaged to us in a way where all you can do with that product afterwards, unless you're going to have a hell of a lot of mason jars of vase that you're making into vases, etc., you're ultimately going to be binning or trying to recycle that product. And that's where I think the government's trying to do work to kind of improve circularity and make people think more about the sustainable circular journey of the packaging of products during and after use, ways in which that those brands can kind of get those packaging materials back and reuse them and how you can go about doing that. And I think it's about thinking about that whole circular journey that just hasn't really happened in, say, the last... 50 years, for example, that we need to be really retraining brands to start thinking in that way, not just this kind of disposable culture. Yeah, I think there's a number of things there. So, you know, I mean, I launched Aveda in this country in 1993. And I mean, that was a very green brand at the time. So it's not a new focus. We're being educated by that new consumer to some degree. And people like Greta Thunberg and stuff like, you know, that's really made a big difference to how young people look at the planet. David Attenborough, for example, I mean, you know, the amount of young girls that are looking at a, a really old bloke on television thinking he is like Zac Efron. So I think there's a sort of, we're learning from younger people, first off. I think that we are, we're looking at other industries. You know, if you go back to when I was a kid, you had milk bottles and you used to return your beer bottles. So those kind of things are really important to look at. Pulling from history a little bit, going back to the old David Attenborough thing. And I think that it's difficult for us to compete with certain social media platforms that are driving overconsumption. So I think you kind of have to have faith that the younger generation are the people that are going to be living on this planet and do care. I mean, we can do lots of different things. We've got the reports, we've got the Planet Positive Beauty Guide, we hold the Plastic Solutions Summit, we've set up the task forces, we've even got a comms task force that is working on exactly that topic of the external communications to the consumer. But without the retailers on board, without the brands on board, without proper collaboration across the industry, we won't really make much impact, I don't think, in the short term. They've said, well, we can only go this far. And then through the networks that we kind of built through the Sustainable Beauty Coalition and the Plastic Summit and others, they're being connected with brands that are their competitors that are saying, well, I'm, I've actually found a solution here to that answer and I'm willing to talk to you about that and reach across, if you know what I mean, in those pre previously very secretive kind of conversations to say, okay, well, we appreciate that we're working towards the greater good and our children's children actually being alive <laughs> for us to recognise that we need to be working more collaboratively on finding solutions to things that we have found challenging, whether that's upscaling, return, reuse, or whether that's finding alternatives to plastics in 
sachets, which was a really interesting thing that came out of the plastic summit that we recently had. I think it's about normalizing the conversations about what's working, what's not working to kind of share ideas and also group together on rather than everyone working in a silo on something that's quite tricky for them to work on. If they were all working together and pooling that money and resource together, then you can actually make a much better and probably a much quicker impact than you could doing it all separately and very secretively. And I think we've actually managed to unlock quite a few doors and and hopefully spur some conversations between brands that never would have worked together before. And I'm thinking of our steering group where we've now got the likes of Lush and L'Oreal sitting side by side working together where that would have been a very, very difficult thing to do get those people having a conversation with each other even a couple of years ago we have achieved that and I do think that that's something to be proud of and I think if we can do something like that in the in the couple of years that we've had since courage to change I personally and I know I'm ever an optimist when it comes to sustainability because otherwise I'd never get out of bed but I I genuinely do think we can really move the dial if we continue to collaborate in the way that we are now. And it's lovely to see collaboration. And I think that this is a conversation that my listeners will have that they'll be exposed to throughout the rest of this season, because I'm hearing more and more companies telling me that we need to collaborate. We all need to come together. I think we're better than fashion in that regard. We've got much more pace. Fashion's really challenging, but we're not as good as food. So we're sort of in the middle, I think. I think the thing is, is that about our products is going back to your talk with us people um, about science is that we are a real combination. Every single product that we have is a combination of science and nature. Every product in our industry to me is that fusion and the, the nature part of it, the stuff that's inside, there's a, just a natural circularity about that generally because a lot of the products stem from plant-based matter. So we're already sort of a step ahead in, the, in regards to the fact that we are using nature in a positive way. It's just oftentimes what it's in that's the problem. And I also think, let's not be naive to the fact that with the food industry, for example, they were pushed into that by legislation, whether that's the single-use plastics legislation that's just come in, but they haven't kind of gone willingly into that. If you go down into your supermarket now, it's almost impossible to go and do your weekly shop without buying something that's covered in plastic in some way. Seeing as this is an episode all about the trends to look for in 2024, what can my audience, what can listeners expect to see? I don't like the word trends personally, because I think that means that it will come and go. Mm. What new innovations are coming in the beauty industry as a whole and more specifically within the sustainable space as well? I personally think that what's well, there's two things that are very interesting. Maybe you could talk about what Elemis are doing a bit because I think that's quite interesting. I mean, they've got a ways to go, but they've created something that's very clever. But I think that the reuse and refill is really super interesting. I mean, obviously, our waste management program, that's not very sexy, (laughs) but it will be. I think the first thing, the first stop has got to be at your in homes across the country look at what you're using look at how you're using it use things don't abuse them be careful how you're using things and how you're discarding of things and how you're reusing things so I'm really hopeful people start to look to retailers to do more to help us reuse packaging I'd love to be able to go into any retailer in the UK and refill something and I do think uh, just I know I'm always the government nerd, but um, the government did put in a £150 million fund through UKRI, UK Research and Innovation and Innovate UK, 
to fund projects to upscale and innovate more quickly around the kind of idea of reuse, refill and people just posting back empty products and then being able to just go to their normal supermarket shelf and pick up the product. So it's, it's you're basically like leasing the piece of packaging that you, yeah, it gets washed externally. You're not responsible for any of that. All you've got to do is just send it back when you're used, when you've finished with it. The work that's being done at, with that now at speed and the conversations that Millie and I know are privately going on between massive brands and the reuse refill companies that are kind of building that innovation are really exciting. So as soon as we can get more of those bigger brands on board with what's going on there, I think it will just fly. And that's really exciting for me. And then Millie mentioned what Elemis are doing. So Elemis also are B Corp, which I think the more beauty businesses that we can get on board with B Corp, I think what what is often the way is that there are so many brands and professional services. So let's not forget all of the hairdressers, beauty salons, aesthetics practitioners, etc., on our high streets that we use all the time that are also trying to do the right thing here that are literally just flooded with information around sustainability and, and going greener and making their businesses more sustainable. And they just have no idea what direction they should be going in. And I think something like B Corp, although maybe not available to everyone because of the amount of work involved in the resource that it takes. And the cost, the cost yeah, is yeah. It's a really good way because there's so many different certifications and ways that you can pay for somebody to go and measure X, Y, Z and calculators, etc. B Corp is a really easy way for consumers at, at the very least to understand that this brand have had to go through a really rigorous series of checks and balances and a continued trajectory of change once they've had that certification, the next time they're then reviewed, they have to be, have been able to show progress from their original time. At the moment, I think that's probably one of the clearest indicators to consumers and for brands to work towards that allows people to kind of understand that they are really on that path towards greater sustainability. But Elemis are doing this work at the moment with really, really concentrating on how they can replace um, single-use sachets so they have a lot of testers that are currently used in a sachet form various different things like their oils etc and they've developed a sachet out of pea protein and the forage forage yeah which is kind of the waste product that comes from the already produced ingredients used to produce a lot of their products so it's all waste product um, and yeah they've created which they showcased at the plastic solution summit the first couple of prototypes of this completely sustainable plastic free plastic sachet so it's like a a plastic free like dairy free like meat free and this is such a big issue with with um, the recent single use plastics bans that have happened with government their feedback to us us was sachets is such a massive issue we can't touch it at the moment because we just don't have the technologies around to find scalable solutions to the amount of plastic sachets that are currently used not only in our industry but hospitality so the idea that we're now starting this work and what was fantastic about the plastic solution summit was we had all of the you know the biggest brands in the country there and Elemis saying come work with us we can now build this up we can all be investing into upscaling and and speeding up the process of getting this out there and getting it to a point where it can pass all of our relevant checks and balances and so that makes me really, really excited that there's that level of collaboration and that we found like this solution to sachets that not even the government could even find at, at the time. So, yeah, that's great. I don't know. I think there's so many really great ideas. and There's so much, again, innovation with what Elemis are doing, with what Reposit are doing. We will get there. We just need the consumer to take some ownership of what they do on that user end, because I think that's where 
we will struggle. It's the comms piece with the consumer. Because I feel that maybe you are right. I should we should pat ourselves a little bit on the back for having put this all together. But but the fact is is that all we did was facilitate a collaboration between a lot of really amazing, very innovative, very clever people. And they are really making, you know, groundbreaking changes. But until we get that sort of out there to the consumer, it's a bit Groundhog Day, isn't it? So we'll get there. We will get there. Okay, so special, special, huge thanks to Millie Kendall, OBE, and Victoria Brownlee. As we conclude this episode, I kind of want us to take away that it's okay to celebrate the beauty in conscious choices. We've learned so much in this first episode, and I think I was a little bit starstruck speaking to Millie. Even though I've met her before, I've worked with her previously, it was just, it's so nice chatting to her, and she's so passionate about the beauty industry and such just this font of knowledge as is Victoria. Victoria just knows so much about legislation. She's who I kind of need to be and I want to be. So I really, I'm so glad that they were able to join me for this first episode of this beauty season. I can't wait for the next episode and I bet you can't wait either. So subscribe now, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast platforms. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller and presented by Bianca Foley.